Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Emily Burmes on the line. Emily, how are you? Good. How are you? I am awesome. Been looking forward to this conversation because I know you do a ton of work in the human capital space and obviously with this pandemic and changing work uh, locations and just all kinds of different things that you really wanted to get your insights on some of this. But for the audience, why don't you share a little bit about you and this awesome work you do? Yeah. So um, own a small boutique consulting firm based out of Fort Wayne, Indiana. We work um, nationally and internationally with, oh gosh, Fortune 500s and startups and everything in between, uh, every industry, I'm pretty sure. And we focus primarily, our two biggest segments, I would say, are executive onboarding. So helping executives come into new VP to CX whatever role in a thoughtful, um, <laughs> a thoughtful strategic way and um, helping them ensure that they're successful. And then probably the other biggest bulk of our work is um, assessing executives that are in role, either because they are seen as high potential and people want to know kind of where they stand and what they need to do to move up or, you know, or they're in a new role and they're in a little bit over their heads and they need some help tweaking. So those are our two big, uh, big, big product lines. Yeah, where were you a few years ago when I needed that when I was entering the executive world? Uh, there, your work is critically important because what we find in industry, and obviously this is nothing new to you, is you know, the people that rise through the ranks and become you know, C-suite executives and senior leaders and organizations are there because of their skills and their talents. But one of the things is being a leader of an organization or a department or a division is a lot different than managing a department or a division uh, or uh, a program because different skill sets, uh, different approaches. Yes, it's awesome that you have an operational understanding of things. And I think that makes leaders strong when they have an understanding of how everything uh, tends to work. But I find, and I'm sure you agree with this, a lot of times those people really struggle with you know, making that segue from being uh, really hands-on doing mm-hmm. things to more of a visionary directing and, you know, really, really using their, you know, their skill set to identify uh, areas of opportunity, areas of improvement and, and whatnot. Yeah, it's, it's a big jump for sure. And um and those jumps are, well, I mean, that's why we're here, right? To help people figure out, okay, I was successful in this last firm or in this last company or in this last role because I did X, Y, Z. And usually when you change, either the way you do it is different because the company is different and what they expect is different, or you're having to elevate your, your work and um, get out of the weeds and stop doing so much and start leading and, and doing other things. Um, yeah, those are tricky spots. And I think, you know, I think that the, the most agreed upon stat is that, you know, 50% of people get it wrong and they don't last and they don't get the results. And that's, you know, primarily why we're here, either to help them get it right to, right off the bat or, okay, you've been there 18 months, it's not going great, but we can, you know, try and see if we can help you salvage that. Um, 
but these are not intuitive moves for people. And, and I would say, you know, even more for so for men, because you just said like, you know, I'm here doing the task and I'm getting things done and then I've got to elevate. And, you know, men are inherently, you know, social science, social science people can disagree with me. And I was a social science researcher, so let them. But men's brains are wired differently and they are wired for tasks. And so one of the things I see is during that jump, like, uh, you know, take the tasks away from men and, and it's, it doesn't feel good, right? The thing that I do, that I do, and again, again, and it gets results. Like, you can't do that anymore. Now you just got to talk a lot. And, you know, um, men in particular can struggle with it. Women struggle for other reasons. But when you were talking about the, you know, completing the tasks, I was like, oh, that's why it's hard for men to make these jumps because the thing that feels good and that comes naturally and that they've been doing forever doesn't work anymore. And they're kind of left to go, well, then what does? And it's, it's tough. It's tough. In many ways, it kind of feels like you've been picked up and dropped into a completely different country where you're not familiar with the way how things are, even though you might be in the same office building that you've worked at for the last decade, uh, but you feel like you're just completely foreign. You're like, what in the world's going on? And uh, I'm anticipating that the challenges that many of these leaders have faced, you know, let's toss in a pandemic. And working from home where before many organizations, you know, even though, you know, the technologies existed, many organizations did not have their teams working remotely very often. Then all of a sudden, you know, spring of 2020, everybody gets sent home and now, you know, it's a completely different world and implementing things. How do we work with teams? What the heck is Zoom? You know, what's, you know, collaboration. And I think a lot of people were apprehensive at first because, you know, they were all using tools that they may not have been familiar with, even though the core work that needed to be done, collaborating with people, how are things going with our projects, you know, messaging and all of that, you know, that technology has been around for a while. And I think people were used to some of it, but the, the actual, okay, how do I navigate this? And then, oh, by the way, the backdrop of, you know, things are closed. There's this virus going around killing people. And why are my kids still here? You know, where are they supposed to go? Oh, the school's closed too. Okay. Now how do I navigate that? It's been a challenging time for leaders uh, and you know, not that their leadership roles weren't challenging to begin with. So, you know, what are some of the insights that you've seen in the work that you do in, in the helping these leaders navigate uh, just the pandemic and the changes that that threw at us? Well, I wish I had a short answer for that. Um, and I don't, you know, so we take it piece by piece, I think, you know, one of the things that I'm seeing, and especially now that things, well, for a bit there, we're reopening, depending on when people listen to this, that they're shutting back down again. But, um, you know, when I was able to get back out on site with clients, you know, one of the things that, you know, companies have struggled with is do we go all remote work? Do we make people come back? Do people want to come back? And some do, some don't, right? And, you know, what I'm seeing from a cultural standpoint is, you know, you go into these, you know, big corporate headquarters, you know, that two years ago were full of people and vibe and energy. And, you know, so when I would have a new executive and it's like, okay, you're brand new to this company, but here's where, you know, here's who you need to know and here's how to build relationships and here's how to get connected and here's where you fit, right? And I can't point to anything right now. 
to say, here's where you fit and here's where you should be hanging out. And so people's abilities, I think, because most relationships are built informally, not formally, and everything on Zoom is planned and formal. And so, you know, you're missing out on the running, you know, past your colleague in the, in the, you know, the big cafeteria and saying, Hey, I saw you did this. And she's like, yeah, I did. And I could use your insights. And so there's ways that people build relationships that isn't happening now. And you've got people building influence in ways that isn't happening now. And people that are prone or, 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 you know, keen on being promoted are not being seen now. So they can't have these spontaneous, natural, organic ways of A, building relationships, which is critical, B, learning the culture, which you've got to be in it to see it and feel it and hear it, and then you kind of get it right. These um, chances to be pulled in on something because you just happen to be in the hallway with so-and-so that thought, oh, you'd be a good person to pull into this meeting. Well, you get pulled into that meeting and there's, you know, five upper level, upper level folks in there, and now they're seeing you and hearing you. And so... You know, my experience through the pandemic has been that people are struggling to really, if they weren't prior to the company, if they were new from the outside during pandemic and they got hired in, they're struggling. They're isolated. They don't have friends at work. They don't know who to trust at work because they don't have the relationships. And so, you know, and then, and then, and then just to go to the culture, you know, some of the companies that I served before the pandemic and now, you know, I'd go in and it was, you know, it was a humming like environment, right? And now you go in and it's no one's there. And so the few people that are there who are probably your people that like people are like, there's just no people here. There's no vibe. There's no energy. There's nothing. Like it's just this empty, stale, boring building with nobody in it. And so I think, you know, and I'm not a doctor, so I'll, I'll spare comments on, you know, what the procedure is. But what we're doing is is not being great for corporate culture. It's not being great for people that are trying to build relationships and get visibility. I would say I, I think it has helped some families cope with, you know, shutdowns and schools and quarantines and all of that. But 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 only so much, you know, so, to some point they're like, uh, my kid is out of school all the time. And like I have one one pair of they're a couple, they're in the same company and they're both very, very high level C level folks. And they're like, the kids are never in school anymore. And he's got a big job and I've got a big job. And neither one of them can really just be like, oh well, I'll just stay home. So I think, you know, my gosh, for working parents, it's it's been nothing short of a nightmare. And I'm just glad my kids are grown because the parents that I work with are just struggling because they don't have that built-in time for their jobs. And it's, it's been tough. It's just been tough. Yeah. It's been really hard for people and and leadership can be a lonely situation, especially if you don't have a peer uh, within your organization. That's why I always encourage leaders to, you know, connect with other leaders, uh, even if it's not even in the same sector uh, to just bounce things off. And yes, the stress and the burnout that people are facing with this pandemic has been horrendous, you know, not just the, you know, the, the simple fact of things opening and then closing and opening and closing. And, you know, you, you think, okay, you know, I've been vaccinated X number of times and, you know, now I caught it type of situation. You hear stories about that all the time. And, you know, it, it, the frustration levels are, are throughout everyone 
you know, and, and then you throw on a work environment type of situation. It's bad. And, you know, that when you were talking about going into the offices and how they just have no, no vibe or no energy, it, it feels like you're going into a downtown, you know, let's say a big city, you know, and, or even, you know, smaller city that have, you know, office buildings and things like that. It feels like when you go into those buildings, it feels like you're going there on a Sunday morning around 8 a.m. Yeah. Is, there's nobody there. It's got this weird, wow, you, 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 you hear the heat or the air conditioning, depending on what time of year it is. You hear that. And you, like, I've never heard that before. And I've worked in this building for a decade. I've never heard that machine before. What is that noise? Well, that's the air conditioning. It, because normally there's people and equipment and, you know, and people engaging. And, you know, I don't have, and I, you know, most of us really don't as much as we'd love to, you know, okay, what's the right ingredient? We don't know. And I think that's one of the things that's frustrating for so many people is we're so used to being able to say, okay, well, you know, design it this way and do this and this. And we don't know what things are going to look like. The playbook is being written as we're going through this, which is not typically what they teach us in mm-hmm. school. Uh, but that's what we're facing right now. And, and I always encourage you know, people, organizations I deal with, or whatever the case may be, it's like, look, just give yourself a bit of grace, understanding that we're all fumbling through this. Take it day by day, focus on your well-being. And when you need guidance or help, by all means, ask for it and, and get that help or, and just you know, do everything you can to, to be the person and, and be confident as a leader saying, I don't know. And I know that's, again, one of those things where a lot of leaders, but come on, we can't, we can't expect any leader, you know, I don't want to get political here, but we can't expect any leader, even leaders of governments or businesses or, or states or whatever to have the answers because the answers aren't there yet. And uh, the key is just to, all right, what do we need to do as an organization to make sure that our customers' needs that they have right now, we're meeting them. And just continue to touch base with your customers as best you can and adjust accordingly. And once this is, however you want to define, done, and we go to the next stage of whatever work is going to look like. I don't want to use the normal word. I don't know no. what, I don't think we knew what normal was before all of this. And we certainly don't know what normal is right now. But I think at the end of the day, you know, focusing on making sure your people have everything they need to do their job well from, your, from the CEO down to the janitor and every level in between and, and have those, conversations those human conversations and where you know nothing's off the table and it's like let's let's sort this out and you know being an optimist i guess i hope that organizations will take that opportunity to do that both now and then as time progresses because when they do coming out of this traumatic experience uh, that so many people have had to face uh, I think that a lot of organizations will be stronger than they were before, a little bit more connected. At least that's my hope. I might be delusional in that, but, <laughs> but you know, you know, it's sometimes uh, we don't know. I think the strong ones will, the ones that weren't strong beforehand, uh, well, then they'll hopefully can adjust accordingly or uh, it will be a, 
uh, a big, big shift. But I think at the end of the day, it's all going to be good. So before we wrap up, I want to talk about your new book. Uh, you released a book called Bombproof. And, you know, what's that book about? It's about executive onboarding. So I was very fortunate to have the opportunity to onboard, um, gosh, it's been about 100 executives now into new roles. And most most in Fortune 500, although we've had a, a spattering, like 15% maybe in smaller companies. And, you know, it was, it was something I never had just in. I didn't pursue that work. I was just asked to fix a fail rate at a company and um, particularly with outside hires, particularly with women, like they just didn't stick. Right. And, um, and when I onboard an executive, you know, I interview usually 10 to 15 people around that executive to say like, what do you want him or her to do? What do you want them to not do? What should they be careful about? You know, where are the dead bodies buried (laughs) essentially? Like, how do I help this person like fit in and 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 do what people want them to do? Because people think, oh, the boss will tell me what my charter is. And the reality is that's not true. The whole organization has an opinion about what you should be doing and you need to listen to those stakeholders. So, you know, what was really unique about this opportunity was that I got to do so many in such a short period of time that it was just a super deep dive. And I'm a researcher by training. And so for me, it was just like swimming through data, you know, year after year and going, okay, there aren't unlimited mistakes you can make. There aren't unlimited expectations people have. There aren't unlimited things that help things go well, right? It all fits into a pattern. And so, you know, for me, bombproof was, um, you know, to your point earlier in the conversation, you said, Jay, I wish I would have had someone to help me get into my last role. Well, no one gets that. And companies are starting to do it, but in a pretty light touch kind of way. And um, we started this work almost 10 years ago now, and we go pretty deep in with the executive. Like we weed through a lot of stuff. And, you know, my takeaway was, A, this stuff is hard. Taking a new role is super hard. It's super easy to get it wrong. It takes almost no effort to get it wrong. And it takes actually a lot of really strategic, creative thinking to help it go right. And, you know, what made me sad after doing the work for so long is that there aren't very many people that are going to get someone like me or someone from my team to help support their integration and make sure that it goes well. And, you know, these folks are taking risks. They're moving across country. They're moving their families their spouse has to get a new job, like new schools for the kids. Like these people are taking huge risks on these jobs. And about half the time, it doesn't go well, right? So to me, the, the impetus for the book was really, look, I, it's a small firm. We're a small firm. We're less than 10 people. I don't want to get bigger. I'm almost 50. I'm not going to grow this firm. And I have no big ideas and I'm going to take over the world. But I do want like the learning of you know, interviewing everyone and then coaching someone for six months and working with their teams and making sure it goes well. And and our stats are quite good, I think, but it kind of feels meaningless when it's like, okay, but for one person that we touch, there's a hundred thousand people that don't have any, don't have any support. And so the emphasis was really to take what I've learned from the case study of each individual executive that we've onboarded and every interview that we've done to help prepare them to be onboarded and just consolidate it into a user manual. So, you know, it's not the, you know, the next great American (laughs) novel, but it's a really good strategy book for just, this is the data you need. This is how you get it. 
here's some stories that represent the points I'm trying to make. So it's a, it's a fast read. And, you know, and at first, I think because I've been swimming in this work for so long, to me, the book is like, is there anything even new in here? And I wasn't sure. And, you know, before it got published, I sent it to, you know, the, the chief human resource officers that I know who, you know, run some pretty good companies. And I'm like, is there anything in here that's unique or interesting or different? And we, you've got a CHRO telling you, I don't know half of this. That's a problem. That means your business people don't know a quarter of it, I think. So I don't think it's, you know, genius work, but it is definitely um, evidence-based. It's definitely research-based. It's definitely pressure-tested in the real world. And I think you can read it in about an hour, hour and a half. And I think people will know a lot more about how to integrate into a new role, into a new team, into a new company, into a new mission in ways that I don't think is intuitive. You know, because our clients are not stupid. You know, they're coming out of, you know, Kellogg and Harvard. And I mean, they're smart, smart, top level people. And no one taught them any of this stuff. So I think it's a, it's a good way to prepare yourself for those kinds of changes in your career. And everyone's changing careers right now. So it's probably a good time to get the book. Well, I completely agree. I think every organization and leader, no matter what level they are, um, should pick up this book because, and again, it's it's great because it's a it's one of those books that gets right to it and it gets you through it. And you, you, I agree with you. You know, it's like when you have you know chief HR officers to say that they didn't know half of it and they know a lot when it comes to employment and people and all of that. It, it, it speaks volumes to the opportunity that organizations have to better onboard because we see it all the time, you know, it, I, years and years and years and years and years ago, I, I'm afraid to say how long it was. I used to be <laughs> in IT and I worked for Russell Reynolds, you know, executive search firm. I was based out of Chicago mm. and we brought in, you know, I, I, I saw in our lobby, you know, who's who of executives, you know, that were you know moving around and all of that. And during my time there, I'd see some of those executives a couple of times because, you know, they would go into an organization, they'd be there for a cup of coffee and then they're on to their next adventure because it wasn't the right fit. And yeah. I thought okay, something's missing here. And uh-huh. I know what it was. It was uh, bomb proof. And <laughs> so you know, if you get in the TARDIS and, you know, if you're a Doctor Who fan and go back in time and, and drop the book back then, you know, but uh, but it would have been helpful for a lot of organizations. But I highly encourage people to pick up this book because it, the work that, that you do and uh, will, it makes better organizations and better organizations have better employees and happier, healthier employees. And what happens then is your happy, healthy employees make better products and services than you and I and everybody gets better products and services out there. It's, it's simple. It's, and I know because you've done this work for so long, you know, it's, it's part of your DNA and you say, I just see it. But as as you've discovered uh, now, not everybody else does, but now, now they have a roadmap so they too can uh, improve uh, how their organizations are ran and how their leaders become better. Uh, and that just has a ripple effect that improves everything. So, Emily, I've loved this conversation. Where can people find out more about you, this book, and everything else you do? Uh, the book, uh, the landing page for the book is bebombproof.com, and my website is bermasassociates.com.
And I'll definitely have that in the show Please notes. Google, so Google my last name. You'll find it all. <laughs> there you go. And, and, I'll, and I'll also have it in the show notes. So Emily, Thanks. again, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for being on the show and for this awesome work that you do. Awesome. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to The Breakfast Leadership Show, part of the Breakfast Leadership Network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.